0: Every human being wants to be loved, don't we? There's a longing in every human soul for love. We all want to be cared for. We all want to belong, to be in relationship with others who genuinely love us back. We seek companionship and connection with other people almost from the moment that we're born. And unless you're completely self-absorbed, you want to love others in turn the very best way that you can and so we read books about love and watch movies about love and write songs about love and some of that is wonderful but the greatest love story on earth and the, and the greatest example for us to follow concerning the way that we love always has been and always will be the story of Jesus. In fact, He not only demonstrated and modeled love for us but He is in fact the very embodiment of love. In 1 John 4, 8 through 10, John teaches us that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation For our sins. So not only were the actions of Jesus the greatest expression of love that the world has ever known, but he himself embodies love in its purest form, which means, of course, that if we desire to know true love, then we must know him. And and once we know him, we belong to him. And there are real life implications to belonging to Jesus Christ, not the least of which is that as brothers and sisters in Christ, We also now belong to one another. The apostle Paul wrote, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, Romans 12, 5. And so all of that has great bearing on how we live our lives. And there's no part of it, by the way, that is optional, according to to Jesus. There are people who say that they love Jesus, they just can't stand the church. And so they opt out of that part of the gospel. I've actually had that conversation in one form or another with more people than I can remember in the last 10 years. The problem with that position is that it is scripturally irreconcilable. You cannot claim to have a high view of Christ and a low view of the church and be in right standing with God. You cannot because Scripture, and specifically the teachings of Jesus Christ, as we'll see today, are crystal clear on the matter concerning how we are to view Christ and how we are to view one another within the context of the church. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's the church. And what what does that look like? Well, John continues the next two verses. He says, If anyone has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, we, we simply cannot claim to love Jesus Christ and at the same time despise the church and then expect to somehow remain in good relationship with him. In First John four twenty and 21, John says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. In fact, we're commanded to love the church to the degree that we're willing to lay down our lives for her. So it's not a, a friendly suggestion by Jesus. Laying our lives down for each other isn't simply a nice saying. It isn't some kind of uh, devotional concept. No, we, we must continually and actually lay our lives down for one another. In fact, as we'll, we'll see in a few moments, this instruction to us by Jesus is so intrinsic to who we are as followers of him, so fundamental to our very nature as Christians that he says, this is the very way that unbelievers will know who the true believers are because of the way that we love each other. That is a big, big deal. In fact, getting this truth across to his disciples was so important to Jesus that he did something absolutely uh, astonishing in order to drive the point home, which we'll look at in a moment. I'm telling you guys, this is so profoundly important. It is such a profoundly important message from Jesus today that we really have to decide right at the front of it whether or not we're going to take it seriously. Because there are enough people in the American church today who appreciate the Holy Scriptures. There are enough people who respect the Bible There are plenty of people who even promote those scriptures. We have more than enough people in the church today who say nice things about God's word. What we need is people who take it so seriously, so seriously that they actually live their lives by it. I think the time to dispense with lukewarm Christian church culture that has become a hallmark, quite frankly, of so much of the modern church in the West. Church culture that pleasantly avoids anything that is too serious or requires too much of us. A culture that is low on commitment and high on enjoyment. I think it's time to dispense with the cheap grace gospel that cost Jesus Christ everything but cost us nothing. I think the time to dispense with that kind of church culture is past due and the quickest way for us to do that is to look around this room and ask yourself, am I willing to lay my life down for these people, my brothers and sisters in Christ? How far am I willing to go for them? How much am I willing to give? Am I willing to love the people in this room the way that Jesus loves them? Because if the answer to those questions is yes, it will not only change your life, but look, it, it will change the church. You see, we can pray for revival from now until Jesus comes back. But if we don't learn to love like he loved, actually, then there will be very little change in the body of Christ because his love is a love like no other. His love is a love like no other. It goes beyond words and talk. His love is demonstrated every single day in deed and in truth. Though, uh, And he does it through human beings who take him and his words so seriously that they're willing to lay their own lives down for it. We need more of that in the church today. That's what he's trying to get across, by the way, to his friends in our story. So let's turn there together to the gospel according to John chapter 13. And as always, we'll pick up right where we left off last week. We're going to start with the first verse. So John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now a casual reading, this verse sounds simply like a nice intro to the rest of chapters 13 through 17 specifically, which are known as the farewell discourse. And they, they lead us into chapters 18 through 20, which are known as the passion narrative. But I don't want to breeze past this first verse and missed the real significance of what John is saying here because he is specific to draw a distinction between all the people in the world and those in the world who belong to Jesus Christ. John says Jesus loves his own. He's referring to Jesus' followers here, which is significant because although the whole world is certainly the object of God's love, the focus of the love of Christ in these final chapters of John is not the lost in the world it's those who belong to him the new messianic community the nascent church it's his followers it's us the love that he shows to his disciples to the church is a love like no other and we'll see that throughout the rest of this gospel in fact you see it throughout the rest of the new testament it's a distinction that shows up in other writings in galatians 6:10 paul writes to the church as we have opportunity Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 1 John 3, 10 and 11, John writes to the church, by this it is evident, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8, Peter writes to the church, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And then of course later in this gospel as Jesus prays to the Father, he says, I'm praying for them, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. John 17, 9, you see, Jesus loves his own with a love like no other. And how John describes that love is both beautiful and beautifully intense. He says he loved them to the end. And that phrase, to the end, is the combination of Greek words "ice" and telos, which, common to John's writings, he uses things for double meanings. And he does that here. It literally means both uh, the conclusion of an act, and it also means to the uttermost, And I love how uh, the Dutch theologian Herman Ritterbos put it. He he calls it love to the last breath and love in its highest intensity. That is how Jesus loves his own. It is a love like no other and we are the focus of that love. We're the subjects of it with all of our uh, brokenness and dysfunction, with all of our imperfections and struggles. Through every mistake and all of our mess, he loves us to the last breath and with the highest intensity. I love it. What a beautiful picture of the love of Christ, the love that he has for us. It's a love like no other. What a picture of that love in just this first verse of the chapter, and it just keeps getting better. Let's keep reading now. Verses two through five. It sounds, again, like just a really nice part of the story, doesn't it? Sort of a sweet moment between Jesus and his friends, but this was no mere sentiment. This was no mere kind gesture. It was actually an unimaginably uh, deep love that he had for them. It was an an unimaginable act of deep love to his disciples. And to understand the seriousness of what Jesus was doing here, we have to understand the, the cultural context in which it was Taking place. In ancient times, when a rabbi had disciples, generally speaking, they acted as his servants. But even at that, they would never wash their teacher's feet. That task was always reserved for slaves. And yet, foot washing was such a humiliating chore that it was even beneath most of the slaves. You see, if a Jewish person had Jewish slaves, the slave owner could not, by law, require that Jewish slave to wash his feet. Only a Gentile slave who were considered to be equal with dogs could be made to wash the feet of another. And here is Jesus. Here is Jesus who was there with the Father and the Holy Spirit creating the heavens and the earth. Right? Who was, who was there creating and populating the earth with plants and animals. Jesus, who was there when mankind was formed out of the dirt. Jesus, who was there time after time when those men and women, those created men and women rebelled against the uncreated God. He was there when the nation of Israel and their wretched wickedness turned their backs on a holy God. Jesus, who was there to witness every filthy sin committed by broken people against a perfect and perfectly just and righteous God. That same Jesus gets up from the table, ties a towel around his waist, gets down on his holy knees, and with his sinless, perfect hands, begins to wipe the filth off of the feet of these men. If not for the coming crucifixion, this would have been the ultimate act of sacrificial and astounding love. It was a love like no other. You see, he not only loves his own, but Jesus loves without limits. This was such an appalling act by Jesus which was not lost on his disciples, by the way. It was gut-wrenching for at least some of them in that moment. Just listen to Peter's response as we continue to read verses 6 through 11. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. That's a reference to our ongoing need for repentance, even though we're saved and born again. He says, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Okay, until Jesus gave his very life on the cross for them, they could not fathom their rabbi, their messiah, their master stooping to wash their feet. But his love for them was so profoundly absolute that it transcended cultural limitations. It transcended social limitations, even religious limitations. Listen to me, do you understand This is how he loves you. The love of Christ is a love like no other, and it is not limited by how good or bad we are. His love for us is not limited by our failures. Thank the Lord. It's not limited by how many times we screw things up. His love for us is not limited by our shortcomings or weaknesses. It's it's not limited by our lack of faith. His love for us is not limited by our fear and our doubt. It's not limited by our own filthiness, our own sin. His, His love for us is not limited by anything that this world can ever do, ever do to us or say about us. And I wonder do we really have any understanding at all of just how much he loves us? I don't know that we do. If if you belong to him, then you are his own and he loves you without limits. You cannot earn it, and you cannot escape it. I think it's hard for us to truly understand that kind of love just as it was for his disciples. Let's keep reading the story. Verses 12 through 20. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Okay, this this entire drama played out by Jesus to his disciples is a prophetic picture of the crucifixion, ultimately, of Jesus laying down his life in humiliation to wash away the sin, the filth of his followers. It's It's a picture of the love that he has for his own, which is a love without limits. It is a love like no other, And it is a love that will lead him to give up his very life for them and for us. And we're going to come back to one final point about this love in a moment that he makes here in this part of the story that we just read because he makes it again in the final portion of the story. So we're going to come back to it. But but first, as Jesus continues to teach them, he pauses the lesson and expresses a personal sense of deep sorrow, not for himself, but for one who had rejected his love let's read it verses 21 through 30 after saying these things Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified truly truly I say to you one of you will betray me the disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at Jesus's side so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking so that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will uh, give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he would taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, What you're going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money back, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. John says that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And of course, he knows that his crucifixion is, is imminent. So who wouldn't be troubled in their spirit, right? And yet that's not why John says that Jesus is troubled. Right after that, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. What does it say about the love of Christ? That just before he's about to suffer the most horrendous death, the greatest agony and injustice the world has ever known, that he's still thinking about others instead of himself. Jesus loved without limits. Even even in our sin, he loved us to his last breath on this earth And with the highest intensity. And he continues to love us in the same way today. But there's more to it than that. Judas was one of the 12. For as much as three plus years maybe, he walked and ate and lived and participated in ministry with the other 11 disciples. Now, we all know that Judas betrays Jesus. In chapter 12, John mentions that Judas would steal money from the money bag that they used to finance their ministry with. I think it's easy to uh, think of Judas as this terrible person, the black sheep of the group that no one really liked and maybe even expected him. Maybe they even expected him a little bit to turn out on the wrong side of things one day. And yet in verse 22, right after Jesus tells them that one of them will betray him, John says the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. In fact, in Mark's account of the same moment, just after Jesus tells them that one of them will betray him in chapter 14, uh, verse 19, Mark says they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? (laughs) They had no idea. They had no idea that Judas was the betrayer or even that he was the most likely candidate. Even after He did what Jesus said, he dipped the morsel of bread and gave it to Judas. They still didn't know. This is pretty strong evidence that Judas, by all accounts, was a really good church member. He attended faithfully. He he did his part. He said all of the right things. He, He acted like a really good Christian, participated in all of the ministries. In fact, he was a founding member. You didn't get any closer to Jesus than Judas and the other 11. But Jesus was grieved in his spirit because this model church member, by all outward appearances, was not a true believer. His faith was not authentic. His walk with Christ was insincere and his love for Jesus and the others was nothing more than window dressing. It was skin deep. And I find it very interesting that sandwiched right in between two paragraphs where Jesus issues a final call to his followers to love like he loved, that John includes this parenthetical note about Judas. The very antithesis, the exact opposite example of what Jesus is teaching them in these pages. I think it serves, among other things, to highlight and even amplify, magnify the stark contrast between the love of the world and the love of Christ. And I know that churches work really hard sometimes to try and be relevant to pop culture, and I understand why we do that. But I'm honestly, listen, I'm honestly convinced that when unbelievers walk into a church, what most of them are searching for is authentic love. They want to belong, to be cared for, They want to experience the kind of love that only comes from those who have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, whether they realize it or not. Why? Because that is a love like no other, and it it cannot be found anywhere else. And in fact, as nice as modern buildings and contemporary services can be, and I love it, As nice as that can be, I truly believe that most unbelievers will overlook outdated buildings and less than hip, new, cool, cutting-edge everything if they actually experience the deep and limitless love of Christ when they're among us. We just don't need to be the coolest thing in town. We just need to be real. We need to honestly be what we say we are. True followers of Jesus Christ. But hey, don't take my word for it. Let's see what he says. Verses 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Uh, This echoes his statement back in verse 15 just after washing their feet when he said, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And so Jesus commands us to love like he loves. More specifically, this command is for us to love one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ, as he loves us. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we are to love our fellow Christians as Christ loved us, and that is far more than we love ourselves. Jesus calls it in the passage here a new commandment. It's not because we've never been commanded to love before, Uh, that goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments and before. It's because it's new because of the way that He loved His followers. The the Greek word uh, for new in that verse is kinos which is not so much describing something that's been newly created. It's more of a a description of freshness or something that has been newly presented. Uh, David Gusick says it this way. The command to love wasn't new, but the extent of love just displayed by Jesus was new, as would be the display of the cross. Love was newly defined from his example. And so we are to love each other by humbly laying down our lives for one another and that is not only for our sake those who belong to him it is also for the sake of those in the world who do not yet know him he says by this people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another see our testimony I've said this to you before our testimony is at the mercy of our love for one another it just doesn't get any bigger than that it doesn't get any more real than that this this is where the rubber meets the road we have to serve each other like Jesus served his disciples we have to forgive each other actually forgive like Jesus forgave us we have to give to each other like Jesus gives to us. We have to help one another like Jesus helps us. We have to commit to one another like Jesus commits to us. You know, we have to be patient and kind and long-suffering and gracious and peaceable and encouraging and caring toward one another, just as he is to us. And those are all byproducts of the love of Christ that resides within true believers, those who not only profess faith in Christ, but those who live and breathe and walk in that truth every single day. That's a love like no other. It's a love that cannot be found anywhere else. That's why it's so attractive to the world when they come into a church and find it. And listen, likewise, that's why many have rejected the faith and have no interest in returning to the church, because they've walked into a few of them and maybe experienced a lot of things, maybe some bad things, probably a lot of good things. But the one thing that they really need, the one thing that they came for is the very thing that they left without. Because they did not experience the astounding, life-altering, cannot-be-compared-with-anything-else-in-this-world love of Jesus Christ. There are plenty of good things that you can experience in this world without going to church, without being around Christians. In fact, the only thing that is unique to us is the love of Jesus. So it had better be obvious when people are among us. Otherwise, what are we doing? Right? I mean, without the love of Christ, what's the point? We're not here to entertain people or to make them feel better about themselves. We are here to share with them the one thing that they cannot get anywhere else in this world. So look around the room. And ask yourself, am I willing to lay my life down for these people, my brothers and sisters in Christ? How far am I willing to go for them? How much am I willing to give? Am I willing to love the people in this room the way that Jesus loves them? Because that's how the world will know That we are true followers of Jesus Christ when they see His love in us. It's a love that says, Yes, I will lay down my life for you. That's a love like no other. Let's pray.